this idea of enhancing my relationship with nature is like free medicine. It feels like food for my soul and I get hungry for it. I call my buddy Travis. He's observed that when the snow melts, there's a flower sometimes underneath it. So his head kind of gets tripped out and like, how did that happen? You know, a dedication to this (laughs) life results in that type of free medicine being available to you everywhere you look. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. This is a Soul Fire production. Today on the show, we've got Jared Picard on. Now, Jared and his wife, Elisa, are the founders of Be Here Farm and Nature, which is a biodynamic farm and wellness brand located between St. Helena, California and Austin, Texas. Now, Lauren and I have been using their products for quite some time, and we absolutely love them, especially their summer solstice serum. It's something that we use nearly every single day. And in today's podcast, we jump right into discussing what was it like for Jared when he and his family had to pick up every and escape the massive fires that happened back in 2020. Now, Jared had over 300 acres of his farm, again, all biodynamic. And to hear what he went through, what his family went through, and how to stay on the dreamline, as you'll hear in today's podcast, amidst just crazy challenge and crazy struggle. And then we transitioned to discussing a topic that's very near and dear to Jared's heart and something that he's carrying on today, which is really connecting with people and exposing them to nature connection and nature immersion as a way to experience deeper levels of self-love and once again, connection with the world around them. So get ready to hear a fire podcast. You're going to learn a lot about every single topic that I just shared, along with how to embody connecting with the changing of the season. Super interesting. Let's get right into it. around 300 acres and had the farm. So it was, I, there were times before COVID where I didn't leave the property for like a month or two, um, except for maybe just, you know, some very specific trip. And so I'm loading up these oils and I put them into this RV, which is not suitable for loading such a thing. It's more of a leisure vehicle, let's say. And, um, I load up the whole thing. It takes me like three hours. I'm sweating bullets with a respirator on. I could barely breathe. I go back inside and I feel like, wow, I just packed up the whole farm basically for a fire, but I don't even have a go bag. You know, I don't have anything packed up. I pack myself a go bag. I pack my daughter a go bag. Felisa and Kaya, my wife and daughter come home and I say, V, I did the craziest stuff that, you know, I just packed everything up for a fire. Like, can you just pack a go bag? Because everybody, including the farm, has a go bag now. And so like, it feels weird you not having one, but I didn't want to grab her stuff. I didn't know what she would want. So she packs herself a go bag. We sit down for dinner and we get that phone call that says, get the fuck off the mountain right now. We grab a few things, our two dogs. We run outside. The sky is red in every direction. We get in the RV and my wife gets in another vehicle and we just drive off the property. We would have driven off the property with those same two vehicles, you know? So it's like the v, the RV should have been empty. I should have been in the RV with my two dogs and it should have been completely empty. 
And I should have been saying, oh my God, I can't, I can't, like I should have been crying that there was, that it was empty, you know? And instead I just hear like, this like symphony of clink, clank, clanks behind me. And I'm going down and up like 25% grade. We're on the top of a mountain. So I got to go down like 400 vertical feet to get off our property and then back up several hundred vertical feet and then up and over this mountain to Santa Rosa, a 45 minute windy drive with what I would describe as glass oil filled jars, not packed for such a, a trip. Like they weren't prepared for that type of movement at all. Not to mention, nor were they prepared to have two dogs lying at their feet. You know, like <laughs> it was just going to be a nightmare of broken glass oil and dogs, like is what I really thought was going to happen. And I was just like, there's 50 police and fire truck driving oh, in the wow. other direction towards the fire when we're driving away from it. And I just have this overwhelming sense of relief. I, I can't describe it. Like, like everything's totally f- not f- better than fine. Like I was like, I was like, woohoo, like go get them boys. Like to the <laughs> fire. Like I was feeling high. I was like on a high. I was feeling like either I knew everything was going to be perfectly safe or if this whole thing burned down, like, it was somehow going to be for the best. I don't even know what I was. I was just overcome with it. And the click, clang, click, clang, click, clang. Cause like, I was like Noah's Ark. I had like two of every oil. And I was just like, even if the whole thing burnt down, I knew I was taking this ship of oils and we were going to do something crazy with it, which is what happened, I guess. Right. That's pretty much what happened is that, you know, we couldn't go back for several days. The whole place did burn down, in- including, except the house, which like is miraculous, but the whole property really, the whole region, the whole thousands of acres in every direction burned mm-hmm. down. So that's what I meant by the whole place burned down. But as it relates to our house, it actually did not burn down. And the farm, you know, more or less survived in, in really uh, incredible condition, considering that there's a 150 foot tall fire on all four sides of it uh, for days. Um, and so we left basically thinking like, you know, pretty quickly we decided we weren't developing the hotel on that property anymore. And yet we were definitely thinking we're still going to live there forever because forever is a pretty specific definition, you know? 100%. And so like we were all in on that part still. And we entered this period of displacement, which was from, you know, then until Thanksgiving of last year when we really went back for the first time. I went back a couple of times to like do some, you know, I don't even remember what, check on things, let's just call it. But my wife and daughter hadn't been back in that whole period. And we were really in a state of trauma from it, you know, Mm. like whether or not that was exactly the right call or how we would have done it, you know, if it happened again, God forbid, like it's hard to know, you know, because you're just so deep in it. And basically everything was falling apart is what it felt like. So like not only was our home, the only thing that like we love so deeply about, you know, being there in California and everything was that land and our connection to it. Our daughter was born in that house. We built that house ourselves. We made that farm from, there's a dirt field, you know, before we got there and then it turned into what you saw. So the connection I had with it quite intentionally was to fuse myself with it completely. Hmm. Like I just remember you know, one of the first times I was on the property walking from the lake back up to the house, which is like 700 vertical feet, just kind of huffing and puffing a little bit. And this guy who was an early inspirational character in my life at that time, this guy, Michael Presley, cool gardening um, mentor, um, was, I was just said something like, you know, one time, you know, when I'm like 80, I want to be like those, like, you know, uh, like Sicilian, like hundred year old people you see walking across like up a hundred steps in the village. Cause they've done it every day. Like 
I just want to walk this thing every day until it's just no big deal. And I'm still doing it my whole life. And I'm like 80, 90. He's like, yeah, when you're, when you're, when you're, you know, long before that, it's going to be no big deal because it won't be like you walking up the mountain. You'll just be, have become the mountain. Wow. And you know, I didn't really totally understand it at that time, but seven, eight, nine years later of living in this wild place where of course we had our house, but the second you walk outside of the house and walk 10 feet, you're just in like mountain lion country and through thousands of acres of crazy raw wild nature in every direction like with stuff like wildfires, you know? And so trees falling and bears and coyotes and, it's just wild out there. Something that I've been chatting about with some close friends of mine, as well as some new incoming clients coming into the men's work that we offer, is this exactly parallels to what Jared is going through today. And that is really the power of being immersed and connected with nature. Let me just say this, from my own experience, of course, having ritual initiations can be incredibly powerful. But that being said, if all we did was get a group of like-minded and like-hearted men together and spend time out in nature. It would be so powerful to get grounded, to wake up with the sun, to speak honestly from an open heart around the fire. Oh my gosh, it is so enriching. And one of the things that I'm very excited to share here with you now is per request, I've been opening up now more offerings to do with men and not just the most expansive um, offering that we do, which is the Mount Shasta event, the Men of Movement Retreat, June 8th through the 11th. That, of course, is an incredible experience. And on April 1st, so just a few days from now, I've got a virtual event for four hours. That's a collaboration effort with Tor Pierre, who is a prior guest on the Path podcast, along with being just one of my most dear friends and mentors and coaches. That will be a four-hour virtual event. I'll be teaching a somatic release breathwork experience. And then on April 29th, for those of you gentlemen that would like a one-day immersive experience, that is going to be co-facilitated by Ben White and Tyler LaFlock. Both of those those two fellows were earlier guests on the path. It is going to be a day of movement, of good food, of connection, of embodiment work, of story work. So whatever you can commit to, men, if you've been feeling this call in your heart, in your soul, I'm telling you, now is your opportunity. So whether it's the virtual event, the one-day event, or the more immersive Men of Movement Retreat, go to mikesalemi.io, hit the upper right corner of the Programs tab, and select what event feels most aligned and right for you right now. I hope to see you there. Well, I want to take a pause real quick. And you know, I think you painted a beautiful picture of the land and, and having been there personally, like, I mean, this place is is so special, you know, especially still to this day. And, you know, when you were sharing about uh, like when you and the family came back, like the, the trauma still ensued and stuff like that. And you guys were feeling it. I'm really curious in that moment, like whether when you came back and you realized that you weren't, the hotel wasn't going to be an option. You're figuring out what in the fuck are you guys going to do? And obviously now you guys live in Austin. So there's a lot of chaos or potential for chaos in that moment when you didn't have things figured out, you didn't know where you were going to go, you didn't know the future of the business. How did you navigate it and what came up within you in those times? Well, the other interesting question is, is like, why did I feel so happy and relieved yeah. when I was like rolling off the mountain, you know? And so I've thought a lot about that. 
And it actually kicked me into like an initial bout of depression because I was kind of like, it made me feel like I was on the wrong path in a sense. Because like if the wildfire, which obviously meant ending the thing I had just been working nine years on, thousands of hours, made me feel good somehow. Hmm. Like, doesn't that mean that I should have had a course correction earlier and been doing something that would have made me feel, you know, better? Because why did it take a natural disaster to make me decide not to develop this project um, any further? Because we certainly had a lot of challenges and hurdles along the nine years where we could have said, let's go a different direction. Let's just sell these skincare products instead. Um, And so the essence of what I did was, I mean, to use, uh, for me, it was definitely a direct teaching through Paul Check, which in his language would be like the dream line. You know, I, I really just leaned on my dream line which for yeah explain like that a listener is not familiar um i don't know you chime in if you feel like i'm not describing it how how you've been taught it i know you've had probably a lot of conversations with paul as well but from my own paraphrased memory how i how i internalize it anyways is the dream line is more or less like the 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 line between you and your dream, as silly as that sounds. And so the important thing there is having a dream. Um, and so in Paul's, you know, picture, if the dream is a bullseye target type thing, and you're a bow and arrow, you know, you're an archer and you shoot a bow and arrow at the target, the line that the arrow takes, that's your dream line. And then moment to moment, decision, decision, day to day, you use your values system which in his is created through four categories, Dr. Diet, Movement, Dr. Doctor Diet, Dr. Movement, Dr. Quiet, and Dr. Sleep. Those four categories, sorry, Dr. Quiet, <laughs> Dr. Happy, Dr. Movement, and fucking, dude, like out of my mind. Quiet, right Diet, now. Movement, and Happy. Yeah, thank you. I got you, bro, I got thank you. you. We edit that out? <laughs> um, it's like, it's like, yeah, this is really important to me. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, you, you create your values in those categories mm-hmm. and then you're, you're going down your dream line and somebody invites you to a concert and the concert starts at 930 and your dream is to be the, you know, the best father and professional, this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, the concert ends at 1 a.m. or whatever. And, you know, in your Dr. Quiet category, you have value that says you go to bed shortly after sunset, maybe by 10 at the latest or something like that. And you say... I love that concert, but I'm not going to go because it's not dream affirmative. And that's walking down your dream line. And so you could also with, you know, conscious decision, choose to go and then realize that, well, maybe I'm going to be a little bit uh, detrimental. You know, I'm going to be a little bit deficient tomorrow because I made that decision, but it's going to really be fun and that's okay too. So it's not like you have to be a, a zealot about it. But for me, my dream line, what I realized very quickly was not the exact same thing as what like it appeared as I was doing. What it appeared as what we were doing and what our internal marching orders are was to develop one of the best hotels in the world. We really thought for sure everyone on the team had sometimes over 120 people across like 20 different <laughs> companies, all working engineers, you know, designers, like lighting engineers, whatever. Everybody's working on the same goal, very complex project, above ground, below ground design, all at the same time, construction people. We had 17 people just on our construction and farm team during this this phase of land development on our actual be here team. 
Um, and so basically the, the goal at that point was to develop one of the best hotels in the world. When that disappeared, what I remembered was that like my dream was actually to myself be one of the people that I'm about to describe next, but to connect people with nature, like as a means for enabling their own self realization and transformation through nature connection. That was what like lit me up in life. Like when, when I, when I originally kind of left New York city and started learning how to, how to farm and kind of went down this road in the first place, it was that just connection with nature where I had grown up in the suburbs, you know, playing video games, like a lot of indoor sport. I did recreational sports and stuff like that. And, but I didn't have like what I would describe as a, a real connection and no spiritual relationship with nature. Um, and no real awareness of the cycles of nature. I can totally relate to that because that's very similar in my life. Like it wasn't actually until I think, shoot, I maybe a friend took me camping once when I was a kid, but really I remember not even going on my first hike until I was like my early 20s or something like that. And I remember when I took my parents who are both immigrant Sicilians, like on their hike, my mom was like, this is wonderful. <laughs> no, dude, people who go hiking for the first time as adults are the funniest. I love them. My wife, I, I think I took her on her first hike in her 20s. And like, not everybody likes it. Like, uh, but it's just so hilarious to me. Like people are like, oh, it's like walking. Like, <laughs> it's, it's the ground is so soft. <laughs> You know, I'm like, making all, all these smells are coming yeah. through. But, you know, once you once you've adjusted to that, like once you've lived on 300 acres for 10 years and you just walk outside barefoot and then walk for hours without seeing a house, a car or a person or anything like that. Like I now like I just can barely walk <laughs> in cities like I, I choose the con concrete. Yeah, the concrete is just so, so right. hard to right. me. Like I just mm -hmm. Really, all the I almost feel like um, like a fish out of water, kind of like when I'm in the city, I'm just like, "Where's the nature?" <laughs> like it's like, and I look at these people, just like you know, um, adjusted to it, you know, like it's they're they're not they're not they're not drowning, you know, they're not like suffocating for nature, and like I'm just like looking at them, and I'm just like. You guys are like future people or something, like <laughs> alien people, like a totally different type of people because I would need to, um, I couldn't do it anymore. Although I grew up in that. that but that was you. Yeah. yeah. I, I lived in New York City. I lived in Brooklyn. I grew up in New Jersey and spent a lot of time in New York City throughout my life. Um, and so really the answer to your question was my dream line was to be in connection with nature and to have a life where my family could, could live that, that life, you know? And, and in the back of my head as a person who grew up with like a family and, and Wall Street as the sort of the family business and, you know, grew up in, um, you know, a more mainstream kind of regular culture, I guess I want to just, just like everybody I feel like probably did. But to bring it back to the original question, I mean, I, I basically leaned into the fact that there's probably a lot of ways that we'll be able to live our dream equally or, or more so with a different vehicle. And that just because we weren't developing the hotel on the property didn't mean, and I quickly started getting feedback as to like why it would be even better not to, but it didn't mean that the dream was dying, you know, the dream and, and that sort of, so that was sort of wow. ve very quickly. I decided that the dream was completely fine, you know, and that I was going to continue walking down my dream line. So 
I think it speaks to the value of having a dream um, and, and kind of persisting and, and choosing to, to walk, you know, to the best of your ability down, down that path, the path, hashtag the path. <laughs> and um, like, cause I for sure could have just said, fuck it and mm-hmm. gotten a nine to five job um, somewhere in the hospitality industry, basically tell them, you know, my story and, the, and, and give me a shot. I'm sure I could have gotten a job somewhere and then proven myself and worked myself up a, a more normal ladder. But I, I wasn't, I didn't think about doing that for a second that, that felt like that would have felt like the dream had died. Mm. So I for sure knew that I would do whatever it took so that my family could end up in a place where we were living in relationship with nature, maybe not on 300 acres, but that we would continue, you know, wanting the same lifestyle for ourselves and to be able to like facilitate that connection for other people. Um, So that's what my answer would be. I mean, like, and how, like, what were the tools? It was just the most basic stuff. Cause I'm talking about rock bottom sort of feelings. Like my daughter was five. So she didn't understand why we couldn't be home and the fires was all a nightmare. All of her bike and various sentimental items burned in the fire that like she'll still talk about to this day. Um, when she can't find things in the house, she'll say, I think that got burned in the fire. Oh. Um, so it's like a major part of her life. Um, and my wife um, was, was also hit really super hard by, by the whole situation. Um, paradoxically, she um, overcame uh, like some longstanding, not, I wouldn't even say overcome, but like learn to better manage some, some longstanding anxiety issues and like kind of fell in love with the house as a result of COVID. Mm. So like before COVID couldn't really like be super comfortable in the house. Used to go to the coffee shop a lot, like bounce around, run errands and stuff like that. And then because of COVID, you know, we basically society forgetting about not like at the time we just like there was so much stress everywhere like we didn't even want to interact with people so we really kind of hold up on the property and that forced her in a way to kind of fall in love with with being there and then having to let it go basically so shortly after because of the fires like just kind of hit her in this weird upside down way. It's like, wait, you're the one who didn't even like being in that house. You know, but <laughs> like she had just kind of gone through this whole process wow. on it. Um, so I would say they were hit super hard. We were all kind of rock bottomy. And all we did was like look into our daughter and just like try to create this whole world around her where it all kind of was a fun adventure for her. You know, mm. we went to Costa Rica during this time. We visited my brother in New York for a month. We lived in Topanga and like enrolled her in this nature program for seven months. And hmm. so we did some interesting things during the time and really just focused on her. Of course, like my wife and I as adults were just totally like, I mean, I lost like 30 or 20 pounds or something Shit. crazy during this time. Um, and so we definitely were under... Like I took this stress test, the, 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 the doctor, have you ever taken one of those things where it's like when somebody, when you, if you lost a parent, you put down like a 50 and then if you know, I haven't heard of this, it's like a, a, you know, the last you like 20 or 30 (laughs) questions of the most common stressful things that happen in anyone's life. 
And if they, and they have scores next to them. So you put an X next to each one. It's like, did you move? Do you live in your birth time zone? You know, things that are, have you been fought? Like, I don't Have you been divorced? Like all these different things that could or could not happen to you in your life. And you add them all up. And then at the bottom, there's a score that just says like zero to 20, you know, not that much stress, you know, like 80 to hundred is like, like much higher than average stress. My number was so off the charts. I not only had like 254, (laughs) but I like wrote them a note. I was like, I do not think that this chart accurately reflects like the various life circumstances that like, you know, come up, especially in like a post COVID world. I was like, everyone should have a hundred points on here for having to have gone through COVID. Um, And so, yeah. You were saying uh, what you drew was really simple. Um, what the, well, what you, you drew from? It was like, go lying on the ground and pray for help. Uh, like, yeah. take, like lie on the ground. And th- that was, that's, w- that's one exercise that I did. Another one would be <laughs> lie on the ground and breathe slowly. Mm. Like, uh, walk slowly outside in nature without headphones on for 30, 40 minutes, you know, a day. Just the most basic things that don't sound like, you know, that curative maybe to like such a crisis, but that, that's what, that's what I relied on. That's what, what we turned to. Well, what's coming up here in that too is like in a lot of the men's work that we do, or even in some of the medicine work that I've done, like nature is a huge or can be a huge tool and asset for integration. And anytime we're either in nature doing things like that, like a, you know, finding a sitting spot, you know, just sitting in, a, in one spot in nature, ideally where you can't see, you know, industry or whatever, just even looking at a tree and just sitting there or just taking a slow walk. Like you said, nature is medicine. And, you know, I appreciate that because, you know, you have a very practical approach to it. So like when, when I hear like connect with nature, like you also have a very spiritual connection to it but it can be very practical. And one of the things that I know about you is, and I'm really excited for you to dive into it, is you look at whether it's the seasons, the winter solstice, the summer solstice, and you've really learned a way to kind of like weave yourself in with the rhythms of nature as much as possible in the modern world. And I know that's done a lot for you. So I'd love for you to go into that a little bit. Well, I, 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 it's, it's like nature connection is sort of, even to me, when I say it out loud, it sounds sort of meaning like non It's what do you mean by that? Right. Like you said, you know, and yet I have a lot of things in my life. It, it, you could look at any of those four categories of quiet, diet, movement, and happy. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> um, and uh, like you could find five to 10 things in each one that I do that maybe a lot of your friends and some some of your listeners and stuff like that do but the overwhelming majority of the american public does not do mm. some of them are even like looked at as maybe bizarre or you know totally just um like i'm ev- like i'm uh what's the word i'm looking for extreme mm-hmm. like my my feelings about food quality or sourcing um, or like the construction materials we were talking about earlier or the clothes that I wear, like might be extreme, you know? And when I look back on that and try to reflect on that, to me, it's just, I might, I might be crazy. I don't know. Because to me, those are like all of my favorite things. Like those are the things I like to do. So when people will be like, oh man, I can't believe like, 
you could basically, what, you can't even eat at any restaurant? I'm like, no, there's restaurants here and there. You know, here in Austin, there's one that we eat at called The Well, Daidue. There's a few that like use, you know, don't use seed oils and have organic ingredients and pasteurized meats and stuff like that. Um, but out of the thousands of restaurants in New York City, there might be a, a handful, you know, that I would go eat at. But for me, like going to find that restaurant and eating there would be so fun. It'd be awesome. And I don't care at all that I'm avoiding the other 7,300 and like <laughs> just like going to the grocery store, buying some ingredients and cooking in an Airbnb. Those are the things that I'm super passionate about. And so when I look at all these different things where I'm a little bit weird and different and super passionate about those things, they usually fall into this umbrella that I would call nature connection. It's like things that put me more in connection with nature. So when it comes to my food, things that were not grown industrially and were grown in you know, regenerative food systems and wild forage foods, these things feel more in touch with nature to me. And so I could do that in any category and find ways to interact in the world that makes me feel more or less in touch with nature. And I find personally my user experience, like for even forgetting about the fact that, you know, doing things that are, you know, interacting in the world in a way that is more harmonious with nature, obviously sounds like it'd probably be better for nature, but just selfishly, my user experience feels better. So I feel like that sort of outlook uh, or observational sort of relationship with nature, just sort of like being aware of even just the north, south, east, and west. Mm. Like even, even just that, like where's the sunrise and set? Um, super basic things that you don't need. To, I'm not an astronomer, you know? <laughs> I'm not an astrologer either. I'm not, you know, a doctor. You know, I don't have any special skills. I'm just saying that like uh, just observing. And so there, there was a time when, you know, when we were agricultural, everybody, all people, you know, like pre-industrial. And before that, like there was a time when we were just sort of nomad, you know, hunting, scavenging, nomadic, right? And so at that time, certainly, uh, we were just completely immersed in it. You know, this idea of nature connection wouldn't have been a concept that could have made sense. It wouldn't feel, it wouldn't be separate. We would be yeah, in it. We'd it just be wouldn't make it. sense. Right. Um, so that, you know, one of our mentors, Dennis Klosek, would describe that to me as like the child of nature, you know? So that was like, you know, the Garden of Eden and we were just children of nature. And um, over time, we came like, you know, more like divorce, you know, we became like husbands of nature through farming, mm. animal husbandry, you know, vegetable husbandry, any kind of, you know, manipulating of nature into a more domesticated environment. Let's call that, you know, I'm a husband of nature. And then like now we're just totally divorced from nature. Mm. Through that system, you know, of agriculture, basically, like because agriculture kind of led to, you know, great abilities of culture and, and, and cities and societies to, to scale and to... Yeah. Totally. So, it, it, you know, some people like look at it as kind of the beginning of the end in terms of, of that. But the, the thing that feels for sure, like as a modern human, here we are, you know, in this industrial world. And so I don't, maybe, what are we posting? I don't even know where we are. We're like in the, <laughs> it's like people are like, your wife's an avatar. <laughs> and like people are giving her heat, right? Oh, dude, I love it. Yeah. So wherever we are, right? Um, I find that this idea of en enhancing my relationship with nature 
is like free medicine, you know, mm-hmm. on multiple, it feels like, you know, food for my soul to be, you know, to put it in like how it feels to me. Um, and I get hungry for it. You know, if I'm on the computer all day and I'm just sitting there, it's like, I have a feeling of like pain, hunger almost to like need to get outside and go for a walk in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, is like, I call my buddy Travis, who's a cannabis farmer up in Klickitat, Washington. And I called him yesterday to tell him I'm coming on the pod. He doesn't know that I'm about to talk to him about the pod, but we love geeking out about stuff. You know, usually late night, early morning kind of thing. And um, I'm like, hey man, what's up? It's like, oh buddy, buddy. <laughs> Just driving towards the rising sun. I got the Columbia Gorge River rushing down outside my window, heading west towards the ocean, pouring glacial water into the sea like it has for thousands of years. It's like, it's like I look out out of my left window. I see the I see the grass. I, I see the I see the grassy meadow where each winter the snow melts first. And the grass oh. widows appear. He's oh. like, the grass widows, sometimes, man, they appear like the snow melts and there's already flowers. I'm like, how does that happen? And he goes on like this for another couple more minutes, you know? <laughs> I was just said, good morning, you know? But he's getting... <laughs> How excited, like his life is so, he basically all he's he- tapped in, bro. But all he knew was the, the west and east, you know? <laughs> and and like he, he he's observed that oh, when the geez. snow melts, there's a flower sometimes underneath it. So his head kind of gets tripped out on, on like, how did that happen? You know, so he's just observed these things. He's not like a botanist, you know, mm. for, for having observed that. He didn't even have to know what type of flower it was. He just looked around. Usually you're on the highway, you have total tunnel vision, right? So I call this guy and he's just like, oh, buddy, like the sea is flowing. You know what I mean? Like that's the, med- that's what a dedication to this life <laughs> results in that type of free medicine being available to you everywhere you look. You yeah. know what I mean? So that's, that's kind of, so I kind of wanted to talk about that. That's what we, you and I, like, you know, that's what I wanted to frame the conversation around was. The idea of what are the ways that that comes up for me mm-hmm. throughout the calendar year that are just like totally free and available. And, you know, if, if Travis is at like a 10, you know, like, <laughs> like, like, let's just talk about how to get from zero to one. Cause it seems like a worthwhile path to go down, you know? Yeah. Um, and so funny enough, I mean, like I feel super blessed to have my daughter enrolled in Waldorf education because um, and I would love for the school's administrator to, to get on your show. This guy, Edmund Knighton, who you probably, I don't know if you could look him up. I've never Googled him. Yeah, um, awesome. But just Waldorf education is, you know, the, um, the body, the style of education that comes out of anthroposophy, which is the body of wisdom of Rudolf Steiner, who's the, which is where biodynamic farming comes out of, um, as well as several other interesting things that have added a lot of beauty and function and, you know, healing into the world and are still rather niche. Um, and so at Waldorf, there's an entire calendar year of festivals that occur. Huh. So those festivals and then like religious people who are still, you know, practicing in the church and stuff like all of those, I mean, spoiler alert, but all of those, those holidays are more or less transposed onto these same types of festivals, all which relate to the flows of the season. So like, 
like my buddy who's a Protestant um, reverend, and we have similar late night rambling uh, Zoom. I mean, Facetimes. Um, we always joke about how, like, what's it called? The nativity scene? The nativity scene, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, baby Jesus in the yeah, manger. Yeah. yeah, but there's like baby lamb. You know what I mean? Like lamb <laughs> were born in the spring. Like this shit is so obviously a springtime story. And so they just like moved it around to the winter solstice because that, that like for thousands of years before that, People were like celebrating Minotaur, whoever, like on the on the solstice. That's like the bull with the horns, right? I don't remember if it's actually Minotaur, but just imagine that, like, you know, eventually somebody came up and they're like, "It's pronounced Jesus," you know, <laughs> like it's not fucking pronounced Minotaur. And so, like, we just these holidays, you know, have their own spiritual beauty and intent and purpose and symbology and everything, but also were adjusted date wise to meet up with the solstices and the equinoxes and what the Celtic calendar calendar calls the cross quarters. So the halfway points in between the solstices and the equinoxes. Can you quickly explain what is, what does solstice mean and what is equinox? This, mean? Well, we're here, we're in the winter solstice right now. So like in f- what this episode is being recorded in some date in the mid teens of December. And then so in five or six days from now is the winter solstice, which is the, the least amount of daylight we'll get on any day of the year. Okay. And uh, the summer solstice, six months later, June 2021, is the most amount of sunlight that mm. we'll get in any time of year. And the equinoxes um, in spring and autumn is when the sun sets due west and it is an equal amount of day and light, mm. uh, day and, and nighttime. And um, there's a daily rate of change, you know, across this, like the, the, the sun angle is different every single day Hmm. slightly. And so the, you know, the combinations of solar warmth, visible and non-visible radiations that are, we're bathing in on any given, every single day is truly unique in that sense. You know, even that observation can inspire awe. Like you, you could still be working in an office and at a computer, but like go outside to get coffee for one second and just be impressed by the quality of the, of light that's coming down on that one day. Um, and that's just, again, like observational nature connections. So that's all I'm even talking about here. So like in between the start of the school year until now, like I, like my, these look like podcast notes, if you could see them, but this is my primarily my daughter's school calendar. <laughs> um, but like September 29th, Michaelmas. We had a Michaelmas celebration. So this is Michaelmas. Yeah, Michaelmas. You're going to hear a few festivals now that you've never heard of. But yeah, the, definitely the, never the, heard the, of that. The cool thing about it is that they okay. So like more obvious festival, summer solstice, midsummer festival in in, in Scandinavia. They light bonfires. You know, it's mm. the suns and it's a big ball of fire in the sky. Like we're gonna. So what do we do? We light bonfires, right? Because we are that. We're the system. We're not separate from it. We're completely immersed in it. So we've been, we do it now and we don't know necessarily why, but it's like, it's just because the system is doing it. You know, we're all part of this thing. And so it's an expression of the moment. Like it just, it's just when we light these huge bonfires and like modern time, you know, here in America, um, I've, I've mentioned this before, but we, we, we have burning man. And so that's the same thing. It's been punted past the summer solstice to the end to like Labor Day. Huh. But the very first Burning Man, like I didn't know this. I looked it up because I was curious and it fit my narrative quite well because the very first Burning Man, according to the internet, was held on the summer solstice. And then, you know, over time, for whatever reasons, it was held at a later date. Um, and so 
winter, you know, around the world, um, people have very similar traditions um, of, uh, you know, lighting, lighting small lights in their, what, you know, now we have Christmas lights, right? But you could imagine it used to be little candles in our windows, um, you know, Yule logs, like different things burning inside the house, somehow bringing a tree inside the house in some form. Um, and like there were other traditions where one part of the tree would like light and smolder and the whole thing would end up burning. I don't remember where that's from, but you know, all the same, we're all doing the same thing at the exact same time. Um, and so like the, the, the season that we're in right now, like the fall to winter season as a parent of a Waldorf child, I get to participate in these festivals. And frankly, like these festivals are much more our, like what I relate to as our calendar year mm. than months and, you know, days and, and, and anything else. Interesting. Because these festivals are like the human, you know, <laughs> representation. Expression of, the, of Yeah, of the season. Mm. And so like, it's just more opportunity for, for embodying the flow of the season. Um, so like Michelmont, the story is St. George fights a fiery dragon with courage, you know, provided by Archangel, you know, Michael. The, the lesson is having courage to face the dark times of winter ahead. You know, um, the, the next festival on their calendar is day of the dead, you know, Halloween, right. In, in, in modern America. And yet what it is, is it's the cross quarter between the summer solstice and the winter solstice. I mean, the summer solstice and the fall equinox. Mm. And so it's the halfway point in between them. So it's really these halfway points in like the Celtic calendar, who's, I don't know if it's the only, but certainly one of the, the more famous calendars for have divided, have, having had div- divided it up into these, these quarters. And the, the cross quarters were the beginning of the season. So we punt the beginning of the season half of, of a season later. So we say that winter begins on the winter solstice and summer begins on the summer solstice, June 20th. That's the beginning of summer. But every, that's the peak. You know what I mean? Like when we get to the summer solstice, that's the top of the trampoline jump. Hmm. You know what I mean? We're about, it, it's been inclining, 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 getting hotter and hotter, more and more sunlight. Every day after the summer solstice will be less and less sunlight. Calling that the start of summer is like missing half of summer. Interesting. Okay. Um, and so that is because, I mean, I can't explain why this has happened, but the calendar that we follow is called the Gregorian calendar. And, you know, I'm not an expert on this kind of stuff either, but I looked it up. I was curious. And so when I looked up the Gregorian calendar, it said that it was started by Pope Gregory in 1582. I was like, that smells rotten. You know, <laughs> does, what does that guy know? And then, so I was like, what was before that? And it was the Julian calendar founded by Julius Caesar in 45 BC. It doesn't sound much better. It's like, these aren't guys who like, I don't know, that doesn't give me that much hope in the sort of like purity of, of the intentions behind this calendar probably a lot of civic and religious control reasons for like wanting to adjust the calendar, uh, like in the ways I was saying before, to kind of like get certain holy days in alignments with when other festivals were already happening so they can kind of like 
you know, gain the support of the populace. Um, and so before that, like 45 BC, the Julian calendar, that's uh, a solar calendar. So that's 12 months a year, 365 days with a leap year. That's when that started. Hmm. And so like right in there, they're just kind of like, yeah, plus we got this leap year thing, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's all the math is already off, you know? And so before that, it was, it was lunar based calendars. And so like a lunar cycle is something like 27 days, 47, 40 hours, 34, what is it? 27 and a half days. Let's put it easy math. And so if you tried to peg a calendar to that, it'd quickly fall out of sync, you know, because mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a random number. And so the like Sumerian calendar goes back to 2500 BC and their solution was every once in a while, they just add in a new month. It was like extra month. <laughs> they had to like catch up. So the, the, what makes more, much more sense to me is that, you know, is the observational calendar of like the sun goes up, the sun goes down. That's a day. It might be, you know, today we have the ability to use, I don't even know what astronomers use to, to measure, you know, these things precisely, but obviously we seem to have the ability, you know, we have atomic clocks, we have iPhones, we have all these things that tell us exactly what time it is and where we are in space, GPS, all that stuff. But what feels much better for me is to just simply look, you know, mm-hmm. you can notice, except for on these solstices where it looks observationally, almost as if nothing changes for a couple day period, kind of like when you're looking at the full moon and for a few days, you're like, is it full? Yeah. yeah a, but, but on the, on the, on the, there's, there's a five day period. So on day one, you're like, oh no, it's not full. And the next day you're like, oh, maybe it's full. <laughs> and you can't really tell for like the next two days, but it was that one day in the middle is technically the full day. And then that fifth day again, you're like, oh yeah, okay. It was full yesterday. Um, and so like that is happening with the seasons too. So the winter solstice is in a week, right? But we're already within the sphere of influence of this time. Mm. And so if we were tapped into it and kind of really feeling what this energetic shift felt like, there might be a 30 or a 20 or a 15 day period where you were really noticing these shifts. And so like in Waldorf, we celebrate these, these things because it's not just it's not just Michaelmas. In between Michaelmas and Day of the Dead, we've celebrated Martinmas at an Advent spiral, St. Lucis Day. We were talking about Hanukkah, Christmas. I mean, that's at least five or six different things, all of which the spiritual sort of symbolic meaning is more or less rekindling light within. Okay. Celebrating light in the time of darkness, more or less. Um, and like, so an Advent spiral or a winter spiral for somebody who's never heard of it, the children will build out of like in our case, I think cedar branches, cause that's what we have here, but you could just imagine any sort of evergreen type, you know, branches, a large spiral, like, I don't know, 20 foot in diameter that goes around into an interior. And every once in a while they'll set little, um, stumps or something down that later candles can be placed on. So every like five feet along these, these garlands and wreathy green, evergreen spiral, branches, there'll be a place where uh, a candle will basically be lit or a candle could later be placed. And then in the center, there's a big stump that you can eventually arrive to once you walk the spiral and there's candles there that are lit. And so a child, one of it is beautiful. It is. It's just, it's, it's angelic. It's stunning. Wow. And so a, a child, the whole community will gather, whatever group, you know, community you are. 
and everybody's there and there's, you know, I'm not going to remember the song, but it's like, oh man, if I, if I had a good singing voice and I remember the song, you'd be like, wow, that is the cutest thing I've ever heard in my life. But it's like, <laughs> she lights her little light and da, 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 da. Like, it's like this really beautiful, cute little ditty about the child finding their light in the darkness. And then, and it's like, now her light is lit. Then she da, da. That's for, there's a different song for when she's reversing the spiral on the way mm. out. And the whole group singing it. And in silence, the child just walks this spiral. The reverence is like, you don't have to be like, now pray on your way. Like the child understands this is a highly reverent moment. Right. And they're just walking the spiral so gracefully and beautifully. They go so carefully, light their little candle off the, the center one. And then they carry their flame out and everybody's singing and they find a little place to put it. And then by the end, the whole spiral is lit up in, in the candles. And it's just epic, you know? And, but this experience of, you know, spiraling inward, going inside and rekindling, you know, kindling this light inside ourselves. Like, you know, this is the story of, of Christ, right? This is like all of the stories that we tell at this time. It's the darkest time. And yet, after the winter solstice, one day later, every single day forward will be more and more sunlight. You know, it's the mm-hmm. bottom of the trampoline. We have all this pent up energy. We're about to spring right back up. And so having an awareness of this stuff um, is enriching in a way that I can't really kind of describe. But just it, all that happened there was they walked in a circle and lit a candle, but it's an embodiment of what this system energetically is going through right now, like mother earth as a living being, at least the Northern hemisphere is going through this right now. And so like, we're all going through it. And so just acting it out is somehow enriching. And that, you know, hearing that one of the things that, that I'm reminded of is like, I've always loved Paul's connections to looking at training and movement as the seasons. And a lot of times what we tend to see, and we can bring this even like, especially for a lot of the, the, people who love movement, appreciate movement, who are listening to this, you know, one of the things of how, you know, I, one of the reasons why I had gotten injured when I was competing was, and I, and I see a lot of, you know, uh, colleagues and people either still doing this out there or, you know, sometimes it's hard to get out of, but I was always an endless summer. Like I was always doing ass kicker workouts and like my recovery as much, all the modalities I was doing was not able to catch up to the amount of output. So I was like, I was staying in a summer that didn't end. It was basically, or like if any of you guys listening who have been to like a casino, it's like the lights are on nonstop. You may feel energized, but then as soon as you actually step out into back into the room or going outside, it just hits you like a ton of bricks. And you realize that like, we cannot sustain endless summer. We're not designed to. And so if we look at our training, like we can look at the seasons, we absolutely need a winter phase and so, you know, I super appreciate everything you share because you're making it even more practical. And this has actually inspired me quite a bit, even just being more aware of um, just when I'm going outside, looking at the sun and just feeling into and observing when it's its brightest and how long is it bright for. So very simple stuff, but it's a direct way to connect back with nature. Instantly, you know, mm. just such a return on investment. It costs nothing. It's and it's instantly available to everybody. You just have to step outside. Um, you could probably just close your eyes, honestly, and not even mm. step outside. But um, it's like literally just putting your attention on the fact that 
this is a planet and there's a moon and there's a sun and this is all kind of crazy. For me, that's enough um, to like snap me out of, you know, my day-to-day problems, basically. Like I could just look up at the moon. Sometimes, you know, you see the moon during the day. That'll just, I'll just stare at it for a half hour. It'll trip me. Like if, I, if I'm like at a, you know, let's say I'm waiting somewhere, like in line at the DMV. I could be very happy just pondering, <laughs> pondering the moon. I love you. Bro. Like if it's up there, you know, it's like, look at that thing just hanging there. I don't even get it. You know, it's like, what's going on? Um, so that is, is really like, you just said it, you know, you were like, oh, maybe our training should have a season. It sounds so stupid to think that it shouldn't, you know, it's almost sounds dumb to suggest it. I was almost afraid to have this conversation because it sounded so basic. It's like, look, the sun rises and sets at different times of the year. This is the shortest day. This is the longest day. There's different energies. The leaves all fall in the, in the autumn. All of the energy goes down into the earth, you know? And there's seeds that are down there and they're, they're just all of a sudden whole plants come back the next spring. It's like, where did they go in between? They're just down there in the seeds. From a biodynamic perspective, it's because their their actual living, evolving essence of them is more of a spiritual essence. Mm. It's a non-physical. So it's like the physical thing that we see of the carrot or the tree is has fallen down into density from this spiritual place. So to to refer to our, our mentor, Dennis Klosak, who uses like alchemical language, he would say that it's the corpse of the solution, like the salt that settles to the bottom of, of a water solution. That's the corpse of that solution. So like the thing that we see in the physical world, like that's the corpse of hmm. the spiritual thing. Or in reverse, like a, a plant growing out of the ground, the physical thing we, we see is like the wake of a boat where the boat is the, the spiritual concept and then filling in this spiritual archetype is the plant. And a biodynamic farmer through their relationship with the plant and their observations, which, you know, you might call a green thumb, but really it's through dedicated practice. They can look at a plant and see if it's growing into its spiritual potential. Let's say it's like perfect ideal form. And if it's, if it's forming in a way that looks like it's not, you know, according to the picture in their mind that they, they, they've, they've, they, they've connected with this plant. They've meditated on it for hundreds of hours, whatever it is. They have this, this picture of it that they can hold in their mind. And then when they look at something, it's like, wait, that thing is not like that. And then so maybe there's a remedy that that, that plant or tree might need, whether it's too much or not enough water or some nutrient or some pest is bothering it or something like that. And so it's all just based on observation and it's never ending. Um, like my favorite one of the year, is the next cross quarter. So after the winter solstice, we get to the cross quarter between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. And it's Groundhog's Day in America. That's hmm. what's that's what survived, right? So February 2nd, it's in bulk in the Celtic calendar. And this is, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, that means like in the belly. So the lambs, the sheep, you know, they were in the belly. The seeds, you know, are in the belly of the earth. You know, there's this great potential that everything's about to spring forth. So February 2nd, well before what our calendar, the Gregorian calendar calls spring, the Celtics, me, and some others around the world absolutely <laughs> consider that to be the setting of spring. There's just no doubt. If you were to put a hose out on the... No, let's talk about Travis. Okay, so Travis, the, the reason why those grass widows 
have Travis, by the way, is uh, should be on the show too. Mm. I think so. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, he's at he, Titan Titan Farm is is that farm. If anyone wants to check it out, Titan Farm on Instagram. Because um, so much of this conversation is like the conversations that that he and I have. But um, basically, like that, how is there a flower already there when the snow melts? Right. It's because there's a certain point right around February 2nd where the sun angle reaches the, 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 the angle that the seeds and the soil need to know that it's spring and mm-hmm. that's, you know, spring is coming. It's not, it could be, it could be a foot of snow on the ground. You know what I mean? So it's not necessarily a temperature based thing. Okay. There's other information coming in it. It can't be a temperature based thing because how did that, grass widow know to sprout down in the ground when it was covered with all that snow. It's like, how did it, how did it know, you know? And so the, the light obviously passes through the snow and reaches the ground. And so there's, there's information that's coming in these, these radiations that we're like the seed, you know, we can, we are getting that information too. And, and we're obviously ignoring, look at the size of these lights on us. It's like, (laughs) we're after sundown, we're in these huge spotlights we're ignoring the information mm. and or we're overwhelming ourselves with other information, screens, you know, whatever it is, um, uh, you know, air conditionings. So by all these things are a, a different form of disconnection from nature. I'm not saying I want to be in a cave and be freezing right now, but I'm just acknowledging that it is less sort of require less stress and adaptability on my body to live in this type of comfortable environment. And so when we celebrate this cross quarter with something called clay singing, which again, third time I'm referring to him, but we learned from this guy, Dennis Klosek. And so basically what we do in clay singing is, and I'm, I'm going to do it at Kaya's school this year. Cool. We get together and we take clay and we mold it into little figurines of things that were hopeful or excited for the coming season. It could be real things like crops, like apples, whatever, or they could be, you know, symbolic things. And um, you make a little figurine and you're just, you know, praying your little heart out into this figurine. (laughs) You're just pouring, (laughs) pouring your full desire and energy for these, the most, you know, the best (laughs) apple crop. You know, you just full focus on it. And there's songs, you know, like we're singing songs. Maybe there's some drumming going on and there's some buckets of rainwater previously captured rainwater that we're stirring and you, everyone will cut some, we take turns stirring. Everybody comes over and drops one at a time their, their clay figurines into the, the rainwater, which, uh, you know, dissolves being clay. And now you got this rainwater that's infused with the prayers that everybody has, let's say infused into the clay. And so you got this clay prayer water spinning around in the bucket now, and we're singing songs to it. And, you know, the rainwater is already like um, a, a well-structured water. Um, and so all water, but a particularly well-structured water has the ability to be informed. And so like, you know, when water passes over a creek, it remembers everything. It's got iron, calcium, you know, whatever's in the water. It's what it passed over. So let's just say water has a memory. It has the ability to remember these things. And so it can be informed like, um, what's his name? Imasaro. Uh, oh, Emoto or something. Yeah, Emoto. Like yeah, yeah. Yeah. The hidden messages the of hidden water. The hidden messages I think. of yeah. water. Like and, and oh, and there's the the Luke 
there's a woman down here in Austin. I forget, like maybe Austin Veda Water or something like that. She's doing some modern day really cool pictures of, of this kind of stuff too. But there's all sorts of different ways people have demonstrated that you can inform water. Um, and so this pro- this is a process of informing the water. And a little nuance on that, like from the biodynamic perspective is that we, uh, you know, mix it and, it, you know, you're stirring this bucket of water around and it's making a vortex, like a little tornado looking thing. And then you'll spin it and go the other direction. So the whole vortex will implode for a second and then it'll form in the other direction. And so when you're making that, uh, when you're reversing the vortex, there's all these little bubbles that form kind of like on the back of a boat propeller. And, you know, each of those bubbles has surface area. And so it's almost like we're increasing the surface area um, within the water for more information to be retained in it. And so we'll do this for the whole time until everybody's got their thing. And then we'll go around taking like, you know, on our farm, we had a lot of rosemary. So these long rosemary thrushes, we just cut long branches of rosemary, or you could do any kind of evergreen, anything that can act like a big, huge paintbrush, basically. And you just dip it in. You walk around with your bucket, you dip it in, um, and you're, everyone's singing the songs and drumming still, and you're walking around the farm, and you're just broadcasting. You're just splashing water, you know, everywhere. Mm. You know, just a drop here, drop there. It's not like you're soaking everything. You're just, it's, it's almost homeopathic amounts of, you know, water droplets. You're just splashing everywhere. And so why are we doing this? So when the sun gets up to, you know, the particular angle, the soil starts sensing that this is happening. Within the soil, the three components of the soil, sand, clay, or loam, that's all soil. Those loam? What's loam? loam? It's like a mixture of the two. Okay. The, the, those are like the three main components of soil. Um, the clay is the one with like the highest affinity for water. And like, you know, you squeeze clay, sometimes like water even comes out of it, right? It's very mushy. Um, so being the most waterlogged, let's say, the clay is the first one to, to wake up, to notice that this is happening. So the water molecules inside the clay start buzzing and getting all excited. <laughs> and basically the picture is that the clay starts singing to the rest of the soil that it's time to wake up for spring. It sends the messages out, you know, throughout the ground. And so we clay sing, right? We sing our songs, we put our prayers into the clay, then we dissolve it into the rainwater, and then we broadcast it onto the field. And then, you know, it drips down into the clay or on the next rain kind of washes down into the clay. And like when a drop of water, of when a drop of clay water mixes with clay, it's just all one, all right? So now all of our prayers get, you know, infused into the clay in the soil and the clay sings our prayers out to the rest of the land. That's the imagination there. And so, you know, I don't care if you lost me on the imagination. That's the process we're going through to embody this seasonal shift and to mm. acknowledge what's happening. And it's so joyful. It's so enriching, you know? Um, so cool to share with with Kai and share, you know, to, 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 that's what would excite me, you know, most to be able to do that with my son. Yeah. And to Everybody to should clay that. sing. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I've invited you to clay singing in the past. I wouldn't be shocked. Oh, no, I don't think I've received an invitation. I'm actually, part of me is kind of hurt. Yeah. Well, (laughs) once we have a home, our our long-term plan here is to, you know, find, sell the farm in California, find land in Austin and, you know, resettle a homestead down here in Austin, you know, be here for the long term. We love it here. Well, with that said, I know you've got, uh, 
you are starting to create and already have created events to basically, in many of the respects, embody and give people the experience of connecting back with nature. So can you share a little bit about like the events that you're running and what you're up to? Basically, the point is of like, you know, because when when we had the fires, we took stock of, okay, well, what are we going to do next? And we had created the farm. We had created these products. And so we leaned into the products pretty hard. But the products, you know, you can't just put skincare products on no matter how good they are, you know, mm-hmm. and like sit on the couch and eat Doritos. You got to do the rest of this stuff. Um, so we love just bringing it to life. That's really what the events are about. So we we have like one in multi-day events, like a multi-day event, for example, we're doing a, a four-night whitewater rafting trip in Hell's, Hell's Canyon on the Snake River with me, Eben Britton, who I know you know, but for people who don't, he's a former NFL player. Now he's a yogi, like spiritual teacher. Dopero, an unbelievable musician and sound dealer. My actual favorite, one of my favorite musicians in the world. Um, we should link her to the show notes because her name is hard to understand. Dopero, but this, yeah, good luck spelling it. Um, and uh, Dr. Nathan, who you know, Dr. Nathan Riley, who's the host of the Holistic OBGYN podcast and uh, also is studying for his third board certification in anthroposophical medicine, which is the medicine we were just referring to, Rudolf Steiner's Body of Wisdom. So all of us are taking 14 guests on the river where we'll be rafting all day and doing, you know, the kind of stuff that we like to do once we get to camp. And, and uh, Chef Aaron Goldstein, who is a, a really talented chef. And so we have really dialed in food as well, obviously. And when is that happening? Where can people find out about it? So yeah, like we don't have to spend too much time talking about it because people can go to beherefarm.com slash live dash events. And like we have a one day event right now on the calendar in New York City in January, if this airs before then. And then we have that river trip. And I've actually got involved with this other company called Be The Wellness and they host retreats all over the place. And um, so probably one day soon, links to that could be up there too. Um, and, and they're a really cool group. But um, that is like, you know, if I had to just tie a knot on that whole conversation, this idea of, you know, capturing the season, like, cause we, we started in the fall and we just got all the way through to clay singing, which I argue is the setting of spring. And so just to skip forward a little bit and tie a knot on it at the summer solstice, which has particular meaning for, for our, our product collection and our brand in general. And this river trip that we're taking is occurring on the summer solstice as well. And so the summer solstice is that top of the trampoline jump. You know what I mean? And so the, you know, when you look at a farm in that moment, the crops are bumping, the tomatoes are everything, <laughs> watermelons right around the corner. The fall crops are looking good. Winter crops are little babies in the greenhouse. Like everything's looking good. Um, you'd think it's this abundant time, but really, you know, if you're in touch with the season, you know, everything's just about to drop out. Mm. And if this was back in the day and you didn't have a grocery store, you know, there's life or death ramifications now to be prepared for winter. So this is the time to strategize for winter, even though it's technically the peak of summer or in our calendar, the beginning of summer, which like we've now learned is just ridiculous. Um, (laughs) It's unarguably the middle of summer. Um, And so what we get then is wild St. John's wort. So there's a 40 day period around the summer solstice where this little tiny yellow wildflower blooms called wild St. John's wort. That is the main ingredient in all three of the different serums that we make. We have a, a handful of other products, which you could hit me up on Instagram or our website will be up soon, even though it's been many years where we've 
had a website that like wasn't really a shop. Mm. We're, we're now finally going to have that, which is cool. Very cool. And so soon enough, you could see them all on there. But three of them are serums. The first ingredient in all of them is wild St. John's wort, which historically for thousands of years are like people would have used in the winter solstice where we are now as a remedy for like warding off demons and evil spirits and kind of dark shit that comes around. Now, modern times, St. John's wort is a, the most common natural antidepressant that's used. So it's literally the same exact use. There's no leap between demons and depression. Like, that, like that's what our ancestors were talking about. They're like, there's demons around. I'm having bad thoughts. Yeah, you're depressed. We get it. Here's some St. John's wort. It's the same solution today. And so St. John in the Christian mythology was, you know, telling people to, to be prepared, like the Savior's coming. That's what his deal was. And so like, it's, it's all this, you know what I mean? All these myths, all these stories, these holidays, Burning Man, Christmas, St. John's Day, St. Lucia Day, Hanukkah, all of these things are, these are our doorways. These are our portals back in to nature connection. You know, they're, they're, they're built on these, these, these actual natural flows and cycles. It's almost like, you know, we got stampedes on Black Friday to celebrate gratitude, right? We got like elves and Santa to celebrate the solstice. There's a crazy amount of disconnection from the season and the calendar and our celebrations of the seasons that would be so easy, like, like as Waldorf as an example, celebrating these festivals every three, four, six, eight weeks throughout the year. There's another seasonal shift that's happening and it's so beautiful to be in touch with this, this flow and to, to have a different altar in your child's room in the fall, spring, summer, winter, let them add bits of nature to it mm. as the season goes. These are like very common Waldorf practices. Um, so I basically was, you know, this is something I think about as an adult all the time. It's like really a passion of mine, but I today just really wanted to think about it through the lens of like my daughter's festival calendar, because it's the perfect example of like super basic, silly, free stuff that you could do with your friends and loved ones. Um, that is like medicine, you know, it's, it's, it's one of my main types of medicine, I would say. Mm, love that brother. Another medicine that I enjoy every time around you is laughter. <laughs> every that's, time we, that's we, my prime medicine. That's your prime dude. Every time yeah. we chat, you always crack me up and, and are educating me on, on the, the nuances of sarcasm, which, uh, I think I would say I've come a long way. Yeah. <laughs> Well, brother, no sarcasm. <laughs> well, brother, right on, my man. Thank you so much for your time and sharing everything that you did. This has been so much fun. I super appreciate you, my man. Thank you. Likewise. You too, man. You're the best. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path, and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours. <laughs>